0: touching on some small portions of this narrative, but I'm going to read the whole narrative just so that you can understand the context and what's going on. So this is where Jesus um, is is with his disciples and going through Samaria, okay? We're going to start at verse 4. John chapter 4, starting at verse 4 and going down to 26. I'm just going to wait for the, the sound of the pages to stop shuffling. All right, John 4, starting at verse 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, but our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, "'Nor in Jerusalem. "'You Samaritans worship what you do not know. "'We worship what we do know, "'for salvation is from the Jews. "'Yet a time is coming, and has now come, "'when the true worshipers will worship the Father "'in spirit and in truth, "'for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. "'God is spirit, "'and his worshipers must worship "'in the spirit and in truth.'" The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so whether you've heard that story before, or whether this is your first time hearing it, there's a lot in that passage, obviously, that could be pulled out. I once heard a pastor preach on this, just this one narrative three times in a row, just because there's so much that you can dig into in this passage. But my intention this morning for us is to focus us specifically on what Jesus says to this Samaritan woman about worship, and then to use that to speak into our own context, okay? So Jesus is obviously leading this woman to himself, but what are the implications that he's making to get her there? Who is he claiming to be, and what does that mean for our worship? Well, if we look at verse 14, he speaks of himself first as the source of living water, which we shouldn't gloss over too quickly. Yeah, it's a bit cryptic, and you know, he's talking about living, flowing water rather than stale, stagnant water that you would see in a well, yes, But there's also a lot of Old Testament imagery. If you you recognize the imagery, there's a lot of Old Testament passages that speak of God's salvation in terms of flowing water. Just in the prophet Isaiah alone, there's a bunch of verses. The, The people of God will draw water from the wells of salvation. They'll neither hunger nor thirst. This water, this water gets poured out. God's spirit is poured out on a dry and thirsty land. And often you see a connection between water and the spirit of God, the presence of God and living water. There's also a prophetic vision in the book of Ezekiel of the temple where water is streaming out from the altar. This is Ezekiel 47. The water trickles out of the temple and turns into, ends up turning into a river. A river that no one can cross. A river that brings healing, that brings fruit, that brings life to what is dead. In other words, by calling himself the source of living water, Jesus is already implying to this woman that he is the place where God's presence and God's salvation is. That he is the true temple out of which God's presence flows. God's living waters flow out of Jesus. That's why he says, actually back to the Jews, he says to the Jews back in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Destroy this earthly temple. He's standing in front of the temple. Destroy this and I'm going to raise it up again in three days. Why? Because he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. So if Jesus then is the true temple, the holy place out of which the living waters, i.e. the presence of God flows, then Jesus is already pointing to the reality that a building or some holy special place of worship is not actually necessary. But naturally, this just doesn't make any sense to this Samaritan woman, right? Because it's been so ingrained in her that you need a certain place to worship. What mattered most was where you went and what you used to worship, the material things. Which is why further down in verse 20, she points this out. Because the true place of worship was this long-time ongoing debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. She says, Man, our ancestors worshipped up on this mountain. And, and you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Right? Our ancestors worshipped here on Mount Gerizim, which is like the holy place, which is the true place of worship. But you Jews have your temple in Jerusalem. So why should I listen to you, you know, weird man who's inappropriately talking to me at a well? Why do you have the answer? We, we can't both be right. There has to be a true place of worship, right? There has to be a true temple. Somebody's temple has to be the right one, right? Because God has to have a building, doesn't he? You know, a house in which he dwells so that we can go to him and find him in that house. But Jesus turns this all upside down. And he says to her, woman, believe me, a time is coming, literally an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. An hour is coming. And that's a phrase that keeps coming up in John's gospel. The closer that we get more and more to the hour of Jesus, the hour of his cross and of the tomb and of the empty tomb. The hour when no longer a building is relevant. When that hour comes, you're not going to worship in either of these buildings. They were only meant to be a shadow of something greater that was to come. In other words, we can debate all we want about which building is the best one or the true place of worship, but that whole argument is going to be pretty useless pretty soon here. How then... Is this poor woman who's grappling with all of this as Jesus is speaking to her, how then is she supposed to understand worship if it's not about a building or a particular location? Verse 23, Jesus says, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. The time is coming, in other words, and has now come in Jesus when the true worshipers, and don't we all want to be that, right? When the true worshipers will worship not in a fancy building or on a high mountain or in their best clothes or in the most popular synagogue, but in the Spirit and in the truth. What does that mean? That means that God's not looking for big fancy buildings or fancy equipment or the newest and best seats. They are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. They are. He's looking for people. That's what matters most. People who will worship him in the way that he desires them to. As scholar D.A. Carson put it, true worshipers are now not identified by their attachment to a particular building or people group, which frankly we keep falling back into throughout Christian history, but by their worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? Because verse 24, God is spirit. God is spirit. He's not material, He's not limited to a particular place. So the people who worship him need to worship him in his spirit and in the truth that his spirit gives. What is this truth? Well, it's what Jesus has already alluded to. What he reveals to this woman at the end of this passage, that he is now the center of our worship. He's what matters because it's from him that the spirit of God flows to us. Think about this. When Jesus was on the cross, John's gospel tells us that he gave up his spirit. You remember that? He gave up his spirit. Literally, the Greek is he handed over his spirit. So as one pastor recently said, it it was as if Jesus handed over his spirit to God so that it could then be given to the rest of us. So the provision of the very spirit that we need to worship the Father is made possible because of Jesus, who on the cross gave up his spirit so that it could then be distributed to the rest of us. And the spirit then gives us the faith to believe this truth, that this is what he did, that this is the good work that he's done for us. The spirit gives us the faith to believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Which means that we can't actually worship Jesus without the Spirit. Is this making sense? Yeah, okay, cool. So the question for us then today, if that's our foundation, is what does it mean then to worship in this Spirit? Because the kind of dialogue that Jesus is having with this woman, you know, the dispute that existed between Jews and Samaritans and all other people groups, those kinds of disputes aren't so different than the kinds of worship wars and whatnot that we have today. What does it mean for us to worship in the spirit and in the truth of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? Well, I've only got one point to make today. You're welcome. One point, point. and that's simply to say what it does not look like. That worshiping in spirit and truth means that we don't worship anything else. It's just that simple. The application is, of course, a little more complicated, but the principle itself is very simple. We don't make anything else the priority. N.T. Wright puts it this way, that holy mountains and holy buildings are at best signposts of the real thing. So, in other words, cathedrals and beautiful sanctuaries and visuals and flags and banners and fancy equipment can show us and point us to God, can show us something of God. Absolutely they can. You know, I've, I've been to Notre Dame in Paris. I've been to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Like, they're gorgeous buildings. And they, they offer a sense of the transcendence of God that you can't really find in other places. But at the end of the day, they're just buildings. Bricks and stone with cobwebs and chipped paint and that constantly have to go through renovation products and, or, no, restoration projects. If they become substitutes for the real thing, then we're in trouble. That way, Wright says, that way lies idolatry. The worship of something else, of something that isn't God as if it were. And if, of course, if we can't worship the material place, then that implies that we can't worship anything within the material place, either. And that includes, of course, ourselves. Now, originally I was gonna show a little YouTube clip here, um, but for a variety of reasons, we'd have to copyright issues, we can't livestream a YouTube video on YouTube. So uh, I'm just gonna encourage you to watch it after the service, and for, for all you that are participating online at home, um, you could even pause it now and look it up now. But uh, there's a YouTube video simply called Wrong Worship. Okay? Um, and just, just a heads up, it's a little snarky at times, um, but it's a parody. So there's an, uh, uh, a group of worship leaders in a church, this is from like 10 years ago, they do a parody of a bunch of worship songs, and they essentially change the lyrics so that they're worshiping themselves rather than God. Okay, so and a lot of the songs are very familiar because they come out of the late 90s, early 2000s. But it it just, it exemplifies so well. It, It can get a little pointed, especially near the end. But it exemplifies so well how easy it is for us to make worship about ourselves rather than God. Okay, it is so easy for us. To turn worship into idolatry of ourselves, to make it about anything else other than God, to make it, to, to worship in anything else other than in the Spirit. Again, worshiping in the Spirit means that we don't worship anything else, we don't make anything else the priority, but how much of it is actually about us? Some time ago, Keith and Kristen Getty, um, the Gettys are musicians, uh, Christian songwriters. We sing a lot of their songs here. The Gettys were interviewed um, and asked, you know, why, do they, why were they compelled to write contemporary hymns for, for worship in the church? And Keith said this. He said, they say that in every culture, the signs of the church on the slide are first, that the church becomes decreasingly knowledgeable about God. Second, the church becomes increasingly obsessed with itself. Third, the church views every part of the spiritual walk for what they can get out of it. Keith called this a dangerous pattern that they see happening. They saw happening all over the UK, and they started increasingly seeing it in the US, and I, you know, in Canada too probably, in both big and subtle ways. And, and it's something for us to get real about. that we ha- Something that we need to keep you know, giving ourselves a reality check about because we're so inclined to do this. Do we walk into a worship service? And it doesn't even have to be Sunday mornings. It can be any time throughout the week. But do we walk into worship praying that the Spirit would fill us and inspire our worship? Or do we come in hoping to be entertained, to have our needs met, to sing our favorite songs, to have a good time? Has it even occurred to us that we don't have to like the music in order to worship? I remember a couple of years ago, we were hosting Reactivate here, um, the the big youth conference that we've had here a couple times now, and the band was playing a song that I hadn't heard before. It was called Resurrecting, and I, I, I just wasn't getting into it wasn't my kind of song and didn't really like the melody. Uh, So I just listened to the lyrics. I was sitting at the back. I think Tim was there with me. Uh, We were just standing at the back listening to the lyrics. And when we got to the bridge, I just found myself intrigued by the words that they were saying because I hadn't heard it that way before, and I was thinking about it. I started thinking more about it. By the end of the song, I hadn't sung a word again. I hadn't sung a word of this song. I was just thinking about it. But by the end of it, I was almost tearing up. These were the lyrics, by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat, the resurrected king is resurrecting me, in your name I come alive to declare your victory, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Now. I was gonna say, I'm not sure why it hit me so much in the moment, but it's hitting me again now because like, there's just this sense, it's not just the resurrection in the future, it's, it's now, Jesus is doing something in me now. He's bringing me life now. His living waters are flowing through me now. That had just not occurred to me. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Again, I hadn't been singing it. I had just been taking in the words. But that was a moment where I felt the spirit of God working within me. And you know, sometimes we may not feel like singing. We come here and, I don't know, maybe we have a headache or like bad morning and just not feeling it, but we can pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, help me to worship you this morning. We can sometimes get annoyed at a a sound issue or when a mic's not working, or we could pray that the Spirit would help us to find joy in the messiness we may not always want to sing because we don't know the words. Or we could pray that the Holy Spirit would inspire us to try anyways. We must not quench the work of the Holy Spirit among us because our own tastes and preferences don't give Him access. I'm going to say that again. We must not quench the work of the Holy Spirit within us, because our own tastes and preferences won't allow it. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for song worship, analysis, and critique. There's a place for that. There are some songs out there that I, I'll admit really do not draw me closer to Jesus, because at the end of the day, it's actually just therapeutic. It's you know m- making me feel better about myself and not really teaching me about the God that I should be worshiping. Uh, A a previous regent professor, Gordon Fee, once said that you can know what a church believes based on the songs that they sing. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Our songs should teach us about the God that we're worshiping. That should be a no-brainer. And help us draw deeper into his presence. It's important for us to to be constructively critical about these things because it's for our growth. It's for one another. It's for mutual encouragement and enrichment and to, to orient us in the right direction. Absolutely. But, and this is where we need to be careful, I have to make sure that my own preferences, again, don't quench the work of the Spirit. You know, I grew up with a lot of Hillsong and Maranatha and I only thought about that because the other day I was Googling some stuff on Apple Music and came across some of the old school Hillsong stuff and I realized my church growing up like only played Hillsong, (laughs) that's all we did. So I grew up with a lot of that, it was very formative for me. Oh, man, like, Awesome God, I think, was written when I was born. <laughs> like, that, that goes back to, you know, the, the later 80s. Uh, Shout to the Lord, I'm trading my sorrows. I like these songs. They were the songs that were probably that I grew up with in my most formative years. It doesn't mean they're all great songs, but I like them. And because I have preferences... I can often have this habit of of scrolling through my worship playlist looking for the song that I really want to listen to, right? Like, I don't really like that one. Uh, That one's kind of old now. Uh, That one's not really, no, I don't really feel like that one right now. And we do this all the time, right? We do this with everything. We scroll through, like whether it's in the grocery store or on our phone, we scroll through looking for the things that we like. And it shapes us so much that we end up doing the same thing with worship. And the consequence of that is that we end up creating, especially in the church, we can create a culture of discontent that's very difficult to undo. And you know, I actually want to challenge you this morning. If you do that, if you have your phone, if you have a worship playlist or whatever, don't skip songs. Don't skip songs. Because you have no idea what the Spirit might be wanting to say to you. Are we looking for something specific or are we surrendering ourselves and inviting the Spirit to give us something, to gift us with something, to receive? If I'm worshiping the song rather than the person that the song is talking about, then I'm not actually loving Jesus. I'm loving the song that happens to be talking about Jesus. And perhaps in this season... God is looking for true worshipers who don't concern themselves with the attractiveness of the building or the songs or the instruments, but who concern themselves with the Spirit, who want to prioritize Spirit and truth. Again, it's not to say that all this other stuff doesn't matter, but it it needs to shift from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. It can aid us in our worship, but it cannot drive our worship. Because, and I'll conclude with this, it's not all this stuff, all these other things that brings us to God. Those aren't the mediums for true worship. What is the true medium for worship? It's right here. It's the spirit that's living within us. The spirit within us is the medium for worship. We worship through and in he who dwells within us. Why else would we now be called the temple? The place where God's spirit dwells if we were not that place. If we were not the place where the Spirit can actually flow from us. Jesus said in John 7, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's us. Rivers of living water can now flow through us. And John tells us that Jesus was talking about the Spirit. So rivers of living water don't flow from the music. They don't flow from the team. No offense. Well, they do because you're the team. But like we don't need a specific leader to have that. We don't need a specific instrument. We don't need a building. No, the rivers of living water will flow from within us. And if rivers of living water flow from within us, that means in a really beautiful way that the living water in worship is going to take as many different expressions as there are people for it to work through. The Spirit is not limited in the ways that He can help us to worship, you know? The, The Spirit works through our own cultural grids, our own personalities. There's going to be different expressions of worship because we're all different mediums through which the Spirit works. And we show that Spirit to others when we surrender to that work that's being done within us and among us. Folks, we bring our best to worship when we bring a surrendered posture that is seeking to be filled by the living waters of Jesus Christ so that we can then offer ourselves back in return to He who is worthy of everything that we can offer. As the song puts it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I want to encourage you this morning that whenever you come to worship the living God, Wherever you are, however you've come, whatever you're wearing, it doesn't matter. To sing to Christ in the Spirit. Because it's for that reason, it's for this reason that He died for us. So that there could no longer be a separation. God's not over there and we over here, He's not far away from us, He's here. He's right here. And I want to encourage you today to sing as if that's the greatest truth and the deepest reality that you know. To sing as if you're standing in the throne room of Jesus. And if you need to close your eyes to do this or, or you know, pray for the Holy Spirit to help you, please do. I want to encourage you to sing as if you're singing directly to the face of Jesus like a child singing to her king. And I pray that in that moment, the Spirit will allow you to see the affectionate face of Christ, looking at you with delight, happy that we just decided to show up. And may we be true worshipers, the kinds of worshipers that the Father is looking for, who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Living God, we pray this morning that we would be filled by Your Holy Spirit. We pray, Jesus, that You would allow living waters to flow through us as we worship You. We pray that you would inspire us to focus on you alone. And we pray, Lord, that we would be able, in your spirit, to give you all the glory. We pray this in your name. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.